Thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper at the end of the sermon. So I want to encourage you right now to slip off to the kitchen and get a cracker, some juice. If you don't have any juice, water will do, uh, so that you can participate with us. I know it's not quite the same, but it would be a great opportunity for you to share in the Lord's Supper with us. Now, we've never sat down one-on-one and talked about your money. We've never sat down one-on-one and talked about what it means to be generous. But here's what I know about you. You want to be generous, right? I mean, I know that because Christmas is coming and we all really enjoy being generous at Christmas. When we enjoy that moment when we get the right gift for our spouse or our girlfriend or our boyfriend, uh, you really enjoy it when you finally land the right gift for your parents. Uh, You enjoy giving to your children. And if you have grandchildren, this is your opportunity to go wild. Uh, This is going to be really the first Christmas that Shep's going to be able to open packages. I can't wait to buy him toys with lots of pieces and send it home with his parents. It's just going to be great. So we want to be generous. So why are we not generous? According to people who study this kind of thing, last year, 49.6% of American households gave something to charity, which means over half, just a little over, but still over half of American households gave nothing. And and here's kind of the really disturbing thing. Of the American households who actually gave something to charity last year, they gave less than 3% of their income. So while we want to be generous, the evidence actually suggests we're not very generous. Why is that? I read an article in Forbes magazine that gave four reasons that people aren't generous. The first reason is their finances are a mess. And you understand this. We live chaotic lives. We have chaotic schedules. And so if we tolerate that kind of chaos with our time, we tend also to be chaotic with our money. Most of us think if we just had more income, then all of our financial problems would be fixed. Which, if you think about it, makes no sense whatsoever. Because if your shower and your bathroom is broken, do you think running a garden hose in the window and turning on the spigot to give you more water will fix your shower? No, no, it doesn't work at all. You see, we actually need to learn how to handle money wisely, which means we have to have a budget, which means we have to have some self-discipline, and we have to track that, which means we have to take control of our time. You see how it all kind of tangles up? Let me tell you a second reason why people have trouble being generous, and that is we're drowning in debt. And especially if you are a student, if you're in our student ministry, you need to listen to this. The average student graduates from college owing $58,000. And they're going to get out of the workforce, and basically the first 10 years of their work life are going to be devoted to trying to pay off four years of education. Now, the average American household owes $30,000 on their cars. And then what happens is we've got credit card payments, car payments, house payments, student loan payments. The whole buy now and pay later piles up. And so we're drowning in debt, and that really inhibits our ability to be generous. Here's a third reason, and that is lack of trust. We've all heard stories about heads of charities who live lavish lifestyles off of the contributions they received. We've all heard the stories about preachers who um, get a private jet. Uh, There was one in the news not too long ago, a guy who refuses to get the vaccine. So he's asking his supporters to buy him a private jet so he doesn't have to be exposed to COVID. The shot is cheaper, I think, than the jet, but that's just my opinion, okay? Uh, And I know this is a little weird because after all, you can look at me and say, well, Clay, you're about to talk to us about being generous. What's your hidden agenda? 
we all wonder what's that hidden agenda. So let's just get some things up out on the table. My salary is paid by your offerings, your tithes, and I appreciate it. Thank you. I don't set my own salary. I don't get a percentage of the offering. My salary is set by the direction team, which is the top lay accountability group that we have as a church. And it is based on a survey of like-sized churches and a national average. So I get average, which is okay. Church is very generous. And some of you, of course, may be thinking, well, he's preaching a sermon about generosity in 2021, we're going to try to make this our finest hour in generosity in Alice Drive's history and raise $5.5 million. And I've looked at the numbers, and we've got about $1.8 million to go and nine weeks to get there. I bet he's preaching this sermon series on generosity to help with finest hour. And if you think that, you're right. But even if we were not in the middle of trying to do finest hour and raise money to build Pacala campus a building, I still would want you to be generous. And here's why. The Minworth Mirror Psychiatric Clinic in Kansas, a very well-respected uh, uh, psychiatric institution, uh, did a study. And here's what they found. Generous people are less prone to anxiety and depression than non-generous people. It is good for your mental health to be generous. It's good for your soul. Generosity is good for your soul. And I want you to have good souls, healthy souls, and that's why I want you to be generous. Now, here's the last reason, according to the Forbes article, why people struggle with being generous, and it is fear. And we all get this, right? We're afraid we won't have enough. We're afraid we won't have enough money to live the lifestyle we want to live. We're afraid we won't have enough money to send the kids to college. If you have daughters, you're afraid you won't have enough money for their wedding, and you should be. And we're afraid we won't have enough money for retirement. You know, in, in our culture, in our time, you know, we know we get to this age where we're not gonna work anymore, and uh, we're a little afraid about the kids picking our nursing home, so we want to have our own stash so we can make our own decisions, right? And so we want to have enough to be able to live a lifestyle and retire and be secure and, and not be over-encumbered with death. So we, we live with a lot of fear. Now, let me tell you what happens when you live with a lot of fear. It paralyzes you. It's okay to be afraid about money, sure, but it's not okay to stay afraid, because when fear governs your life, you don't make wise choices. One of Jesus' friends, John, wrote a letter. It's called 1 John. And this is what he says. There is no fear in love because perfect love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What he's really saying is this. When you know you are profoundly loved by your heavenly Father, when you know that God has promised to supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus our Lord, then fear doesn't run your life. How many of you like to live a life without fear? How many of you like to live a life without financial fear? Generosity is actually key to this. So I wanted to introduce you to a story in the Bible about a group of people who became very generous. And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 35 and 36. And we're going to be moving through different passages in these two chapters. So keep your Bibles open there. 
And to kind of set this up for you, this is the story of the children of Israel. They have been slaves in Egypt. God has delivered them. You remember that story. Now they have received instructions from God that they are to build a tent of meeting or a tabernacle. And that is going to be the place where they can worship God. It's portable to remind them that God is on the move. He's not tied to a specific place. And as they make their journey toward the promised land, this will be the place they will worship. And so these are the instructions given to them by Moses. And we're going to pick this up in verse 4. Moses said, uh, verse 4 of chapter 33, 35, excuse me. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. Now, there's so much in these few verses about generosity. Let's unpack it phrase at a time. Moses starts by saying, from what you have. Now, this is good news for you. God never asks you to give what you don't have. If you only have $100, God is never going to ask you to give $200. Because God understands your financial realities. God understands what you actually have. Now, now I will say, you and I need to do some inventory and understand what we actually have. And what you actually have is so much more than just money, right? How many of you have stuff in your garage that you haven't used in six months? Okay, that's stuff you've got. How many of you have stuff in your attic you don't even know you have? Yeah. See, we've got a lot of assets. Do you know what you have? And my wondering is, when you really know what you have, will that actually help you think of yourself being more blessed than you currently think of yourself? Look at the next thing that Moses says. Take an offering for the Lord. Now, from what you have, take an offering from the Lord. What does the word offering mean? It means to lift off the top. It means to set something aside. Andy Stanley correctly says there are two types of givers. There are people who spend their money and then give God what's left over. But like, can I pause right there? If, if your finances are chaotic and you're drowning in debt, how much is left over? Yeah. And the second type of giver are the people who lift off the top and set aside and say, this belongs to God. And then they live on the rest. Now, which way of giving, giving leftovers or giving from the top, shows the most trust in God? Which kind of giver are you? Now, here's the third thing that Moses says, and this is real important. He says, everyone who is willing. That word willing, it's a neat word in Hebrew. It means to be inclined. So you incline this way, right? You lean this way. Uh, yesterday, I went to the Florida-Georgia game, and we got the tickets through a friend of mine whose son is on the football staff at Georgia. I was the only blue shirt in a sea of red. And so I would stand up every time Florida made a great play, which was like three or four times, and said, yeah, go Gators! And, and, and all these people in red would just look at me like, what, what kind of weirdo are you? And of course, every time Georgia made a great play, 
which for three minutes was really kind of painful. I just kind of looked at it. Oh, and they're all cheering and celebrating. So I was leaning gator and they were leaning bulldog. Are you leaning toward generosity? Are you leaning toward being noble? That's also a meaning of this word. It can mean generosity. It can mean willingness. It also can mean to be noble, to, to do something that actually commands respect. You know, here's something I want you to know. I think God wants willing givers, not people who are beaten into it. And, and we've all heard sermons. Can we just admit we've all heard the sermons where the pastor just beats it and beats it and beats it and tries to make you feel lower than a dog so you'll give money. I, I don't think that's God's way. I don't think you ought to guilt people into giving. I don't think a church ought to coerce people into giving. I don't think TV evangelists should offer you miracles to give. You know, there's a verse in the Bible, even if you're not a church person, you've probably heard this verse. It's 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want to say this as plainly as I can. If you're not willing, don't give. If you're not willing, don't give. It's just that simple. Now, some of you are saying, well, okay, Clay, if there's a grumpy giver who gives a check, will you cash it? Well, let me pray about it. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But you get the point, right? Which means you actually have to pause your life long enough to say, am I willing? There's one more thing real important here. I want you to notice what they gave. Some of them brought gold. Some of them brought silver. Some of them brought acacia wood. Remember, they're in the desert. That's pretty precious. Some of them brought all these animal skins and yarn. They didn't have the same thing to give, but everybody had something to give. And that's something to remember. You may not have the same thing to give as somebody else, but you've got something to give. There was a church, and they were doing a special offering for overseas missionaries. And they had had several services where missionaries had come in and spoken, and they'd take up an offering. And after one of those services, one of the widows of the church, an older lady, came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I don't have any money, but I have this, and I want to give it. And she put some tissue into the pastor's hand. And, of course, the pastor's thinking, oh, you've given a, a used tissue. Bless you. And then his curiosity got the better of him, and he said, well, can I see what's in there? And she said, I'd really rather you not. He said, please, because pastors can't stand not knowing. And she said, okay, if you need to. And so he opens up the tissue paper, and in the tissue paper was her engagement ring. And the pastor said, oh, you, you, you don't have to give this. The Lord doesn't expect you to give this. And she said, I know. But this is what I have to give. And I want to give something. Can we just pause and acknowledge that woman is noble? And, and can we just acknowledge her character is a lot like Jesus in doing that? And can we even ask ourselves, how much peace do you think that woman has as opposed to the way most of us feel financially? So Moses lays out this challenge. And when the people heard it, 
they replied to Moses and they said, are you nuts? We were just slaves. We've just come into this wealth recently. You expect us now to give? Well, why don't you go to one of the other tribes? They've got more money than we've got. Make them give and then we'll think about it. And besides that, Moses, what's your cut? That's not what they said. What did they say? In verses 20 through 23, chapter 35, then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. In other words, they waved it in front of God as a sign of saying, this belongs to you. They laid it down. There are a couple of things I want you to see. The Bible, again, uses this word willing, uses it twice. They were willing, and everyone whose heart was willing. But then it adds one more interesting thing. It says, and everyone whose heart moved them. This was not just a logical process. They actually had a stirring of their heart. This was an emotional process as well. Because like it or not, and here's the truth, I'm going to tell you unpleasantly, you make a lot of your decisions about money based on how you feel, right? True. Somebody asked me why I drive a full-size Ford pickup truck. I'm going to tell you why. First time I sat in one, my wife says, you look good in that truck. I need all the help I can get. I've been driving full-size trucks ever since then. That's an emotional decision. And it's okay to be emotional in giving. Now, not just emotional. But their hearts stirred them. Now, I want you to see something else, too. It's real important. Men and women made this decision. Because let me tell you what's going to happen. What's going to happen is, uh, hopefully, some of you are going to have a conversation either with yourselves or with a spouse after this message and say, what did you think about that sermon today? And the other one's going to say, I don't know what you think. The first one's going to say, well, I'm not sure. And the other one's going to say, I don't know. I'm not sure either. It's going to sound like you're trying to pick a restaurant where to eat after church on Sunday. See, here, both men and women, they were not waiting on each other to make this decision. They actually joined together and said, you know, we need to do something, both of us. You go dig in your box and I'll dig in my box and let's see what we have. Why were these people so willing to be generous? Why were their hearts moved? Well, to really understand this, we have to go back to Exodus 32. And let me just kind of summarize that for you. And if you grew up in church, you've heard this story. Or if you ever watched the movie Ten Commandments, you've heard the story. So Moses is up on the mountain. He's taken a while to come down. The people are restless. They go to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they say, we don't know what's happened to Moses. Make us a god. In other words, we need to see something. We can't just trust our experience. We've seen God do amazing things, but we don't trust that. So make us a god. So uh, Aaron says, take off your earrings and where'd they get those earrings? They'd been slaves. Six months ago, they were slaves. They didn't have much. We remember when they left Egypt, the Egyptians had given them gold and silver. They had given them all of this, these goods, the cloth, all of this leather. They'd given them everything they could just to get them out of town. They were so scared of God. So these people are newly rich people. And when people get newly rich, what do they do? They contact an investment advisor, right? Wrong. Have you ever seen a lottery winner interviewed? What do they do? 
What do they always say? The, the, the reporter's always going to say, how are you going to spend this money? And, the, and whoever they're asking always says the same thing. Well, we thought we'd put an addition onto the trailer. And they got, they got a pretty good used truck there up at Wally's used car lot. And we're going to go buy. No, 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 no. What do they do? They figure out they don't have to live in a trailer. They buy a big old house. And if there's a guy involved, what does he do? He buys a Ford F-250 King Ranch with tricked out leather and goes and then buys about $4,000, $5,000 worth of tires and rims, right? I understand rednecks. I am one. That's what we do. We want to show it off. Now, let me just ask you, have you ever made a purchase that you wanted to show off? Yeah, basically, if you're wearing clothes, the answer is yes, right? I don't know, some of you say, well, I'm just not that materialistic. Then why do you clean up your house when company comes over? See, see, I think this is more of us than we think. And so they were the same way. They took their, they took their ornaments that they had just gotten, and they, they gave them to Aaron, and Aaron made this golden calf. You remember this part of the story. And then they, they declared a feast, and they had a great big party. And God says to Moses, the people are running wild. You need to go back down the mountain. Moses goes down the mountain. He smashes the Ten Commandments. And then he, oh, this is amazing. He grinds up the golden calf, and he makes them drink it. Now, what do you think happened to them when they drank that water laced with gold? I think they were at Walgreens the next morning. That's what I think. I could preach a whole sermon on that, but it would be a little bit too earthy. And it's, in fact, that the, the rioting kind of goes on. Moses actually has to enlist his relatives, the Levites, to go out and to kill people to stop the party. There's a plague that breaks out. Thousands of people die. And then God speaks and he says, look, you guys go on to the promised land, but you're a stiff-necked people. I'm not going to go with you. And when the people hear this, this is their response in Exodus 33, verse 4. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. Two things going on here. First of all, they realized what they had done. I want you to remember there's always two points when we talk about our sins, and we all have them, right? We all have them. So we need to confess our sins because our sins are acknowledging reality. That's what we do when we confess our sins. We say to God, here is my life, and here's where I've messed up. And God goes, yeah, I know. That's confession. And that, by the way, is why you need to confess your sins in detail. Because you're just acknowledging reality. But the second part is you actually need to mourn your sins, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And what he meant was people who mourn their sins understand the impact their sin has on other people and on their own souls. And we don't do that very well. And if you're a believer, this is something you should do daily. I know some of you say, well, I, I confessed my sins to Jesus when I got saved. And good for you. Have you sinned since then? So this needs to be a regular part of your life where you take a daily inventory. Those of you familiar with 12 steps will recognize this. You do a daily inventory and you confess your shortcomings and then you say, I also realize the damage I have done. You mourn your sins. And if you're not feeling the pain of your sin, you're not truly confessing. And if you're not a believer, I want you to be sure you pay attention to the big lesson here. The big lesson is these people decided 
they needed to live in the land of reality and even feel the pain of their sins rather than do life without God. And the time will come in everybody's life when they realize how lonely it is to do life without God. The sad thing is that some people will keep doing life without God. But if that's you, then I want to encourage you today to start confessing your sins. Mourn for your sins and invite Jesus Christ to come in and forgive you and then follow him. Let him lead. Let him take charge of your life. And, and, and that's what these people did. In Moses' time, they confessed their sins, they mourned, and they took off their ornaments. Don't miss the significance of that. They decided they would rather trust God than their money. I know, I know. We need insurance policies. We need savings. We need retirement. We need all that stuff. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, do you trust God or do you trust your wealth? And some of you say, well, I don't have any wealth. If you are counting on the government of the United States of America to take care of you, you are still trusting in wealth. And so what happened was these people, they repented, and this is what God says in verse 14. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. Can I tell you the good news? This is the good news. When we confess our sins, when we mourn our sins, our God forgives us. Our God says, yes, I will go with you. Now you get it. Now we can have relationship. And, And when God is with you, you are given rest, which means anxiety and depression do not run your life. And especially anxiety about money. People have said to me, Clay, aren't you nervous that the cost of the Bacala building has gone up so much. Aren't you nervous that we're having to borrow so much money? Well, I'm not crazy about it. Am I losing any sleep over it? No. Am I losing any hair over it? No. It was gone already. And I've tried to think about why that is. And I'm I'm really, I'm not shooting you a line and I'm trying to just be preacherly here. I really have not felt a lot of anxiety about it. Um, hardly any at all. And I think it's because I've been here before. You know, 20 years ago when we built this building, it was scary. People in town thought we were crazy. And I saw God provide for us. I saw God take care of us. I saw God send us resources that we didn't even know were out there. And I don't think God has changed. And I don't think we're trying to just do this as a monument to ourselves. I think we really want to see God's work done, and we want to see God's work done in Pacala and Bishopville and anywhere God opens a door of opportunity for us. So even if we get in the middle of this and things don't work out all the way that we want them to, I think God's still got us. I think God's going to take care of us. I think God's going to provide for us. Because ultimately, I trust that my God can supply all our needs in Christ Jesus our Lord. That'd be time for a little stronger amen. amen. Okay, we're going to try this one more time. That'd be time for a stronger amen. amen. There you go. Okay. I think these people gave so generously because they were grateful. Gratitude grows generosity. They knew they had sinned. They knew they were forgiven. They were grateful. They were generous. How generous were they? Well, if you'll skip down now to chapter 36, look at verse 3. We're going to start in the middle of verse 3. 
And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So just pause. Let me kind of give you paint a picture of what this looks like. So the, the, there's these tents all around the camp, and they, they get up every morning, and all of a sudden the wife goes, you know, I forgot. We've got stuff in this box that we could take. I know we took an offering yesterday, but let's, let's take this box too. Okay. The husband goes, he gets in line. There's this long line because there's millions of people there and they're bringing this offering. It's kind of amazing. Everybody's doing this. And so verse four, all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded to be done. In other words, the construction team says, we got so much we can't even work on this thing. And then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they, what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. They were so generous they had to stop the offering. I dream of that day. Wouldn't that be a great day? You know, if one day everybody finally got how wonderful it is to be generous and actually organized their lives so they could be generous, and then one day I stood up in front of you as a church and said, look, we've got all the money we need to do all the ministry God's called us to do. So we're not going to take any more offerings for the rest of the year. We're done. Give your money somewhere else. Wouldn't that be a great day? I think it would be a really great day. So what are we supposed to do with all this? I think here's the big question that everybody needs to kind of let run around their head. Am I willing to be generous? Just real simple, am I willing to be generous? Now, if your answer honestly is no, I think you ought to be honest about it and say, no, I'm not willing to be generous. And then you may all want to dig a little deeper of why that is. And it may be because you're not a believer and you say, look, I'm not a believer and I just don't really, I just don't really want to be generous. Okay, well, be honest. But even if you're not a believer, can I just ask you to think about, has God ever done anything for you? Let me help you think about this. A lot of things we term luck, what if it's God? What if God has actually been better to you than you even acknowledge? It wasn't that you were lucky. It's that you were blessed. All right, if you are a believer and you're not generous, let's be honest about it. What's the issue? And I really do think it boils down to this. Do you trust God to take care of you? And I know some of you are saying, well, but Clay, you don't understand my financial situation. You're right, I don't. But here's what I know. There are good biblical teaching. There's more resources than ever in history about how to organize your finances, about how to take care of yourself. But it comes down to this. Are you willing to trust God to take care of you? That he'll supply every need you have. If you are a believer and you are generous, I want you to feel good about it. You know, and that's not usually the message we send in church. In church, usually the message is you need to feel bad. I had a lady once say to me that she didn't really feel like she'd been to church unless she felt beat up. She had issues. I think that we ought to celebrate. Hey, I've made some steps because here's what it means. If I am being generous, I'm being noble. I'm being more like Jesus. The more generous you are, the more like Jesus you are. Now, that's why we're taking the Lord's Supper this morning. It's just a reminder of how generous 
Jesus has been for us. And an invitation for us to be grateful. So if you're watching online, how about getting your cracker or your juice? And if you're here, how about taking that cup you received? If you didn't receive one, just raise your hands real quick. We have some deacons uh, who will help give you some of that, and they will see your hand raised, and they'll get it to you. So if you'll put the juice part down and the bread part up and peel that foal off and get that little piece of bread out, I want you to just hold it in your hand for just a minute. And if you're watching online, hold that in your hand, your little cracker in your hand, and just think. I want you to think about how those people way back at Mount Sinai said, you know, we don't want to do life without God. We don't want to go to the promised land without God. We, we cannot do life without God. So they mourn their sins. And can you just for a moment be grateful that the God we worship is the God that wants to be with you. So much that Jesus Christ left heaven and he came to earth and one of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. And if you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You're not alone no matter what you face, no matter what financial situation you encounter. Jesus is with you. Can, can you let some gratitude stir in your heart? Be reminded of it and take and eat. Now there's also the cup. And so if you'll take that same little cup and put the juice side up and peel that foil off. Because see, God didn't just come to be with us. He came to give us a different life. He came to lead us to a different kind of promised land where our lives are about more than what we own, about more than what we have. He came to forgive our sins. Can you just think for a minute about some of your sins? I'm thinking about some things this last week when I knew the right thing to do and did the wrong thing about not listening to God, about even moments when I just did life on my own terms. And my Heavenly Father forgives me. And that's why Jesus came, for His blood to buy that forgiveness. And the power of the blood is to offer a new life to us. Will you be grateful? And will you take and drink? So if you're a believer, it comes down to this, Lord, what do I need to do to be generous? Would you just pray that prayer while we sing this next song? Lord, what do I need to do to be generous? And if you're not a believer, just ask you, do you want to keep doing life on your own? It's today to the day you need to say yes to Jesus. Ask him to forgive your sins. Feel the pain that your sin has caused. Give your life to Jesus and decide to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he has forgiven us. I thank you for his blood shed, for his body broken, for the life, the blessings you've given us. Show us what we need to do to be generous people. And for anybody in this room who's not a believer, not a follower, I pray that today, they would ask you to forgive their sins. 
and they would commit themselves to following you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.